50 years that I've been a Christian and I talk to people that somehow it seems like they didn't have the same experience I had because their life didn't really show it that they were really committed to God and really gave their life to God and surrendered everything because that's what Christianity is about is when we surrender to the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ and everything in our life is about Him and not about us. But that is not true for multiplied millions of Christians. That's why I wanted to do this. The Lord showed me this series of messages I preached probably 10 years ago that this church right now, being a new work, needs to hear this. So, so far we've covered the significance of the Christian life. When you got to understand that, some people think Christianity is just a religion that was started uh, 2,000 years ago by someone named Jesus, but that's not true. The Christianity was in the mind of God before he even created the world. He already saw this. He already saw you. He already saw me. He already saw this church and all the churches in the world and the body of Christ. He already saw that. The book of Revelation says Jesus Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. In other words, before the world was even created, God made a provision for you and I. And his son was slain even before this stuff all came into existence. So we know that Christianity is not a religion that was started, but this is a, a work that was in the mind of God before the creation of the world. And we learn why. We learn why, because God knew man was going to fail. It's the failure of man is why Christianity exists. As to why the cross is the symbol of what we believe because this took the place of our failure. Somebody paid for our failure and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. So today, this is the third leg of this series. Today, we're going to look at what really happens to a person when they become a Christian. What really, what really takes place? There's a change that takes place in Christianity. And it's more than knowing the facts. It's more than knowing the truths of it. There are some people who are so intellectual, which that's not me, but some people are so intellectual, they know the whole word, they accept the gospel because it sounds good. Why wouldn't you accept it? It sounds good. All the words sound good. The truths sound good. And they, uh, they can explain the truths. They can explain the facts. They can give you doctrine. But they have never experienced the reality of what being a Christian really is. Then there are those who can't explain it. They can't explain the truths. They can't explain theology. They can't explain the doctrines of the faith. So it is possible that you can be taught all of these things. You can be taught the doctrines. You can be taught the truths of Jesus Christ and God, but never have experienced 
the conversion in your life that comes with it when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told the Jews this in John, Gospel of John chapter 5, verse 39. He told these religious leaders, these religious people, he said this, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. In other words, they knew the scriptures. They knew all about the Christ, how the Christ was promised. They knew all about that. They quoted the scriptures. But Jesus says, you think just because you can quote this that you are Christian. You're not. I remember when I first got saved, there was a, a, a young man who, who got out of prison. And uh, he really got saved. But he memorized like 500 scriptures. 500. He can rattle them off. But I found out like a year later that he stabbed an old man to death and went back in prison. See, it's not how many scriptures you can quote. It's not how much theology you know. But it's your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ that means it. So, you're not a Christian by, by repeating a prayer, which we get people to do. I have to, because the word says you got to confess it with your mouth. You got to believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You got to do that. So you have to tell people to say a prayer, but you're not saved by that. You're not a Christian by, by being a member of a church. Remember, we were in a religious denomination, Assemblies of God. They, they work just like the Baptists, that once you're there a while, you go through a membership class, and then you sign a card, and you become a card-carrying member of that church. And some people think that that's going to get them to heaven. No card's going to get you to heaven. We don't do that here. We know you're a member when you show up here. You hear when we do. You put your hand to the plow in the ministry. You help support the ministry. Then we know you're a part of us. Just signing a card, don't do that. Used to drive me crazy because once a year, we, as a pastor and, and the leaders of the church, you have to go through the cards. Well, they're not here anymore, so you throw the card out. We get new ones in, throw the old ones out. Said, so, no, that's not the way it is. That's not church. So, you don't have to be a card-carrying member to be a part of the body of Christ. You're not a Christian because your parents are Christians. You're not a Christian because your grandparents are Christians. You're not a Christian because your dad is the preacher. And you grew up in church. Remember my daughter Mia was behind the booth there. Uh, first church we pioneered, she grew up in church. She was only uh, six months old when we got saved and God changed our life. So they grew up in the church. But just because you grow up in the church doesn't necessarily mean you're a Christian. 
And I remember when we pioneered our first church, she was in a youth group. And uh, I remember one Wednesday night, I preached and gave an altar call. She came forward. She was 12 years old. That's usually the time you really got to watch your children. It's just because your children know all the Bible stories. They know all the, they know all the verses. And all, you got to look at a time when they're going to come and give their life to Jesus just like you did. They got to come just like you did at the foot of the cross of Calvary. They got to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ just like you have. Nobody's grandfathered in. And I gave the altar call. My daughter Mia came to the altar, and she was at that end. So I made sure I started at the other end, start praying for people. So when I got to her, I said, I said, baby, what do you need the Lord to do for you? She started crying. She says, I need to be saved. I said, thank you, Jesus. She came to the cross. See, I, need, I grew up in church, but I need to be saved. See, that, that's what's got to happen. See, you got to be born into the Christian family. You don't join it. You get birthed into it. You see? So you don't automatically become a Christian because you're in the right church. It doesn't work that way. It never did, never will. Everybody got to come the same way. They say the, the, the ground around the cross is level. You don't come in higher or lower than anybody else. You come the same way, you repent of your sins, and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we understood last week that the failure of man caused the disconnect between mankind and their creator. Between man and God, their relationship was severed when sin entered mankind. We saw Adam and Eve that was, was uh, cast out of the Garden of Eden for their sin. We saw Lucifer cast down from heaven because of his rebellion. And we know that Paul tells us in Romans 3.23 that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody sinned. Everybody's got to come the same way. Nobody gets a shortcut. Everybody's got to come the same way. So at one time, We've all been disconnected from God because of sin. I was disconnected for the first 27 years of my life. Thank God, this last 50, I've been in. So being reconnected, in other words, we were disconnected, but being reconnected to God is what Christian experience is. You were disconnected from God. Now, because of what we did at the foot of the cross, we get connected again to God. So you might not be able to explain that theologically to someone, but you know the experience is real. You've been changed. I won many people of Christ right after I first got saved because of my experience. I didn't know theologically. I didn't know Genesis from Revelation. All I knew is what happened to me. And it was real. And it's got to be real. If you have any doubts about it being real, then you haven't experienced it. Because when you experience it, you're going to know that it's real. See, when man was first created, 
Adam and Eve had all the faculties to fellowship with God. They walked and talked with the Lord. You imagine that? They had everything in them to be able to communicate with the God who created them. Adam and Eve walked and talked with God. But through sin, they lost those faculties. They lost the ability to be able to talk and commune with God. They were broken down. Their relationship was broken down and disrupted. So before we became a Christian, our spiritual faculties, the ability to be able to communicate with God was broken down. You, it didn't work. You couldn't. You might have said, well, I said prayers, but it don't mean anything. And a lot of people pray. It ain't going nowhere. It's not going anywhere. But God created man with a set of spiritual senses that communicated with God that are not functioning in an unbeliever. It don't function. They don't know God. They don't sense God. They don't hear God. They don't do anything. They're actually dead. But those spiritual faculties, abilities, they correspond to our physical senses. Just like we see, we hear, we feel, we taste, and we smell. Well, the spiritual senses that correspond to them are not functioning in an unbeliever. But they are spiritual senses, just like the physical senses. They are spiritual senses that when we become born again, God puts them back in us. God gives us the ability again to have, the, to, to see God. We can see God, not with the natural eye, but they are spiritual eyes. We can see God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Not with the natural eye, but with the spiritual eye. Listen, there were times when we were in Chalmette, when the church was packed up, 600 people, and I'd be up on the platform, and the Holy Spirit would begin to move. I would look out there, and it would really scare me sometimes. I could see a haze going over the people. And that's when I realized I don't have anything to do with this. I don't have whatever's going on here. I don't have anything to do with it. I'll just keep going. But what happens there, I, 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 I'm not responsible for it. People got saved, I know. And, and every time they came to the altar, it wasn't because of my preaching. It was because of God moving on the hearts of people. So you can see God. It's not a physical matter, but strictly spiritual. The Bible speaks of hearing God. This is not an audible voice. Now, I've distinctly heard the voice of God on a number of occasions. I'm not that spiritual where I hear God every morning when I get up. Some people tell them God tells them how to get dressed and what shoes to put on. I, I, I'm nowhere there. But I do hear him. I, I, there are times where I have heard the voice of God. 
when he called me into the ministry, when he called me to pioneer our first church in, in River Ridge, and then going from there, he told me to get out of River Ridge and go to Chalmette. I went there. Then Hurricane Katrina came. Then he told me, he says, you got to turn north. You got to go north. So I packed up and went north. I went to Covington. We started another church there. Then six years ago, he says, you go test the waters in Metairie. So I'm back here now. Made a full circle. Coming. I've heard God. I've heard God. Uh, but it's not an audible voice. It's not, you don't hear it with the natural ear. Jesus said to the seven churches in Asia in, in Revelation, at the end of every letter that he wrote, this is what he said. He said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What the Spirit says to the churches. Not what a man says, but what the Spirit is telling the church. He who has an ear. See, we need to have spiritual ears where we can hear the Spirit of God directing us. Now, in John chapter 10, Jesus said in verse 20 and 27, He said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And they follow me. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. That's what Christianity is all about. Hearing the voice of God, every decision we make, every place we go, everything we do, every decision, we need to hear him. Why? Because we're following him. We can hear God. Now, now the Bible speaks of a feeling. Not in that exact word, but there's some phrases that tell us we can sense God. One is being moved by the Spirit. We see in the Scripture, but the, the Spirit of God moved people. He moved me. I felt God moving me at times to do something, go somewhere. He would move me. Then the Bible talks about being led by the Spirit of God. Being led. you got to feel it. You have to feel how you're going to be led. You, you, something's got to move you. Something's got to push you, impel you to do something. Jesus said in John chapter 6, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. <laughs> you're going to feel that. When God starts drawing you, you're going to feel it. The drawing can be felt. Then the Bible says we can even taste God. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Then in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 5, it says, it is impossible for those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God in the powers of the coming age. We can taste God's goodness. Not with our tongue, but with our spirit. We have spiritual senses. This is strictly a spiritual sense and experience. The Bible even speaks of a smelling of God. This seems difficult, 
But there's a sweet aroma in the presence of God. In Exodus, the Lord instructed Moses, gave him a formula for making the anointing oil. It was the, it was, and it was also used in the incense. It had an aroma. And God said, you don't use this for nothing else. If anybody uses it for something else, they're going to be cursed. You can only use this for the incense and for the anointing of the priest. Why? Because it had an aroma. They anointed the priest with it, the tabernacle, all the vessels. If you came near the tabernacle, there was an aroma that came. And that was representing the Holy Spirit of God. I'm going to tell you of an experience I had over 20 years ago. I told you many times about my experience in, in the jungles of Mexico with missionary David Hogan. We're in the middle of the jungle. When I say in the middle of the jungle, we had to back up a mountain with these trucks. You couldn't pull. You had to back up. In a mountain, there was a clearing. There was a bamboo church. They had about 200, 300 Indians in there singing, praising God, shoulder to shoulder, dirt floor. We couldn't even go in there. Brother Hogan says, you guys got to say, there's no room for y'all in there, so just stay on the outside. We were on the outside. All of a sudden, there was like a soft breeze. And it had an aroma. You smell that? Where's that coming from? We knew where it was. It was the presence of God in that place. I'm telling you, we're in the middle of the jungle. Don't smell too good there. But we smelt an aroma in every one of us. We kept looking at one another. You smell that? Yes, I smell it. Well, it was the power in the anointing of God in there. I know I preached in there. See, so these are spiritual senses that are awakened in Christians. When you're born again, these things start coming alive in you. And you can experience the living God that is in you. See, the natural man can. You start talking this stuff to natural people, you think you're crazy. I really don't care. The natural man can't understand these things. See, man by nature is dead to God. That's why Jesus told that one guy, when he said, come follow me, he said, can you wait? I need to go bury my father. He said, let the dead bury their own dead. You come follow me. See, they're dead. They're dead people out there. 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. They're dead. They don't have the faculties to understand the spiritual things of God. See, they don't have it. They can't. Until they get born again, they'll never experience what we experience. They won't experience when we come in here and start worshiping God. You sense the presence of God in this place. They come in until they come to Jesus. They don't know what we're experiencing until they get born again. The natural man is dead to God. He's deaf. He can't hear God. He can't see God. He's blind. Then he's insensitive. 
He's insensitive. His spirit is dead. The natural man is dead to the meaning of his own existence. He don't even know why he's alive. He's dead to the creation and that there is a purpose for that. He might do good in life. He might make the best of his life. He might do many good things. But he don't know why he even exists. But in his relationship to God and eternity, he doesn't know why he's alive. He's dead to the fact. See, when Christians witness to people, they are looked upon as aliens, which we are. I don't belong here no more. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm waiting for the day I see Jesus. I'm waiting for the, the end of the purpose while I'm here. The purpose that I'm saved is one day I'm going to be in the presence of God. That day is coming. We're aliens here. So don't, don't feel ashamed when people think you're that. So let's look at what really happens when we become Christian. There are two statements in the Bible that sums it all up. The first one, Jesus made to the religious person in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus who inquired about him. Jesus said, do not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. Both. That's one thing that happens to you. You are born again. Then the apostle Paul, uh, not John, uh, he reiterated reiterates on it in John chapter 1 verse 12 he says yet to all received him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will but born of God born of God that's different it's different being born in the flesh I'm born of God what does that mean that means something happened inside of me my spirit now is alive. The spirit man has been born. Now I have the ability, I can talk to God, I can hear God, I can, I can feel God, I can smell God, I can see God, I can do that. I, I'm equipped now. That's the difference between a born-again believer and a religious person. Religious person, all he has is religion. He's got doctrines. He's got, he's got all kind of things going on, but he don't have the faculty to be able to communicate with God and to hear God, see God, and obey God. Can't do it. So John records the very core of Christianity is being born again. Let me give you some advice when you run into these these cults that come around knocking on your door, the Jehovah's Witness, the Mormons and everything. Don't get no debate with them. Ask them one question. Are you born again? And they look at you like a cow at a new gate. What? I said, are you born again? Oh, I think I am. No, you don't think you are. If you are, you know it. Something happens when you're born again. That ends the religious argument. Now, if you're born again, let's talk. If you're not, I don't have anything to say to you other than confess Jesus as Lord. That's it. And I've run him up the street many times. 
The second statement is found in the Apostle Paul's writing, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So these two statements sum up what happens to a person when they become a Christian. You're born again, and then all of a sudden you find out you're not the person you used to be. He died. She died. That's why Sister Dawn, she wasn't saved for six months. She, she told me, you're not the man I married. I said, thank God I'm not. <laughs> I'm new. <laughs> I don't want to do them things no more. I want to be home, love you, love my family, love my children. I don't need to run the streets. I don't need to do that anymore. So what does it all mean? Well, it means I got, I got a new consciousness of God. See, now I'm thinking about God. I'm thinking about the things of God. Never used to do that before. I lived in darkness. Now I'm in the light. I want to know more about God. I have a consciousness of God. I have a sense of God. He came into me. I was on my knees. I confessed that he came into me supernaturally. Something happened. See, immediately, we're alive to God. I'm alive. I was dead before. Now I'm alive to God. And I realized that there was a living reality. I didn't understand the Holy Ghost. I didn't understand any of that. I just knew something different was in me. And it wasn't religion. It was, I didn't even know what kind of church it was. But the living reality of God is in me. That is what Christianity is about. You know God's alive because he's living in you. See, he's in you. See, and we know that God is near now. All of a sudden I said, I got help now. Somebody loves me enough that he's going to be with me and make my way from now on. He's with me. He's near to me. God's not way up there. No, God's right here. He's as close as I'm going to get to him right now. And I'm sensing his presence. That's why I know I can feel him. I know he's here. See, we have a new meaning in our existence. It gives us an explanation for life. I don't know about you. My first 27 years, I said, why am I going through all this trouble? Why, 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 why am I here? Why am I here? Well, I found out I got a divine purpose. That's going to be next week. Come here, next week. Divine purpose. You want to know why you're here? Be here next week. See, there's a destiny now in my life. I, listen, I, I could have never figured this thing out. That a long-haired, dope-smoking hippie was going to be a pastor, overseeing three churches. I, I, how could I figure that out? You can't. But I'm telling you this. God's got a plan for every one of you. 
It might not be what I did, what Brother Carl did. You don't need to do that. But I want to tell you something. God's got a plan for you, and it's better than you yours. It's better than yours. Quit thinking about your plan. We're going to seek his plan, his divine purpose for your life. So you don't need a lot of instruction about it. You don't even have to wait for it. God's going to show it to you. The truly born-again child of God spontaneously and instinctively begins to talk to people about Jesus. Did you notice that? I, I, I couldn't wait to tell my friends. Couldn't wait to tell my family. Something happened to me. You instinctively will do that. And you can test your Christian life by that. Are you telling anybody? Huh? Is your Christian life that good that you're willing to tell somebody? Or are you going to keep your mouth shut? If you're going to keep your mouth shut, you better go back and check yourself out. But if you have really the life that God has given you, you want to tell somebody about it. This is your vocation coming out of you. It's telling people about what happened to you. You feel called to something. That something is God's business. I just knew I had to be about God's business. I didn't know how to do it, but I knew that if God saved me, he wants to save other people, he wants to save my family, wants to save my friends, I got to get going here. So that develops into specific vocations with purpose and meaning, which we'll get to next week. But we have a new set of relationships, interests and desires. Now, you know what happens when uh, your life gets changed, become born again. All your ungodly friends will cut you loose. I thought I was one of the most popular guys in town. I had about, about 25 good friends, and I was their leader. They threw their leader under the bus when he confessed Jesus. <laughs> They're gone. But I tell you what, I got multiplied hundreds, maybe thousands now. I got friends now that will give it up for me. They proved themselves. They give it up for me. They love me, and they don't love me for what I can do for them. They love me because I'm a brother. So to anyone who hadn't experienced this about these things, they're going to depart from you. That's just the way it is. Because they have their own interests. They have their own objectives. They have their own desires. They're going to despise you. They despise me for not participating with them any longer. Let's go do that. No, I can't do that. 1 Peter 4, 3 says this, For you spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you did not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. You want to know why you don't do it with them anymore, why you don't smoke the stuff, why you don't drink the stuff, why you don't do the things, why you don't go there anymore. 
They will never understand that until they get saved. The natural mind can't understand a life that will. They don't understand that they think you're going off the deep end. Have people say, oh, Carl's got religion. I say, no, Carl don't have religion. <laughs> he ain't really, I got God. <laughs> I got the Lord now. I don't have religion. Religion, didn't, I grew up in religion. Religion didn't do anything for me. And they think I've lost everything. I remember when God called me in the ministry. I was at the peak of success in my, in my profession. I had two beauty schools, driving Lincoln Continental, making all kind of money, making all the money. I gave it up. And I had one of my friends says, what are you doing? What are you doing? How much money are you going to make? I said, I don't know. I said, I, I just got to give this up. God's calling me, you see. Let me tell you something. You don't give up anything for God. He ain't giving up nothing. He don't owe you anything. You owe him everything. So if he tells you to give it up, you give it up. You don't, you, don't, you, you don't hang on to it anymore. They don't understand. We don't despise them. We've got to pity them. They don't understand. But i got to be with my own people who have the same interests. I love being in church. I love you. I love my relationships here. Every church I've ever pastored, we've fallen in love with people. You're my people. You're my family. You got that? You're not just a visitor here. You're my family. See, in the book of Acts, when Peter and John were released from prison, you know, they went in prison a bunch of times, but this one in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their, where? To their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Their own people. King James says their own company. The new King James says their own companions. The new living tr translation says other believers. See, you are my people. You are my people. If I wasn't pastoring, I'd be sitting there with you. You are my people. And I'm going to stick with my people. I'm going to stick with the people of God, no matter what. We have a new set of capacities. We have a new set of mental capacities now that transcends the natural mental capacity. I'm thinking in the supernatural now. Get out of the worldly thinking. I'm thinking in the supernatural now, which transcends the mental capacities. We have a new understanding of things. It's supernatural. I understand things. We have insight into things that people with the higher education and a much bigger brain than we have that don't have the capacity to understand. It doesn't matter how much education they have or degrees that they have. They are incapable of understanding spiritual things. I remember when I first started preaching at Lakeview when I was the associate pastor, uh, they had a lady there, her husband was a dentist. And uh, the most intelligent guy I've ever met. He came 
because his wife enjoyed the fellowship so much in the church that he had to come to see what was going on. Well, he was he would listen to me preach and 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 he came up to me one night he says he says, "Carl, you keep preaching about this this thing of being born again. What what are you talking about?" I said, brother, let me tell you something. You're trying to figure this thing out with your mind. This guy was so intelligent. Ryan Valor, he's going on to be with the Lord now. I'll tell you how intelligent. When he got saved, he almost memorized the Bible. You sit in his dentist chair, you're going to think the apostle Paul was speaking to you. He would quote Paul's letters to you. You think you... The Apostle Paul was talking to you. But anyway, he couldn't understand it. I said, Ryan, I said, the Bible says you can't understand the spiritual things of God with the natural mind. He said, well, what do I do? I said, commit your life to Jesus. Repent. Come down. You need Jesus. Well, when he did that, then all of a sudden, he started understanding the things of God because you can't do it with the natural mind. That's the problem with the world out there. They think they know what's going on. They don't know what's going on. You don't even know what's going on in the world until you know Christ. You don't even know what's happening. See, we have a new hope when you come, when you're born again. You got a new hope. That is the characteristic of a new Christian. You have a new hope in life. A true Christian is not one that's characterized by despair, hopelessness, a sense of frustration, disappointment. No, that's not us. That's not us. A true Christian knows deep down that there's something better ahead. I knew that when I got off my knees. I said, my life's going to be better. It's, it's going to be better. There's something better ahead. It's a mighty dynamic that God puts in our hearts that says, now that you've come to me and I'm your Lord, things are going to be better for you. He tells us that. It's what keeps Christians going in the face of unspeakable difficulty, suffering, opposition, whatever comes our way, we keep going. Because I know in the end, everything's going to be better. When others give up and fall away, you keep going. There might be some in the church that fade away. You keep going. I've seen many in 50 years, they fall by the wayside. Guess what? I, I, that's their decision. I'm, I'm going. I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. But you see, they are gripped by an inward conviction that this is not the end. I don't care what I'm facing. This ain't the end of this story. Jesus has the last word in my life. He has the last word in your life. <laughs> don't let anybody tell you what you're in. He's got the last word. See, there's more. It's, it's the hope that comes from the God of hope. We have the God of hope. So let's look at all things become new. We talked about new life, new consciousness, new relationships. All things are new. 
The Bible's not exaggerating when it talks about that, about everything becoming new. It's not exaggerating. It's the truth. Everything becomes new. But what is the secret behind all of this receiving of God? The, all the things we talk about are the fruit of what we get. We don't receive these things with the natural senses. We receive them through supernatural capacities for life. It's supernatural. See, we received a person. The explanation of the person is the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 5, verse 32, it says, We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, you got to understand the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, no less God. It's God in us. It's God moving in our midst. He's no less God. He is God. Just like the Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. No less God than all of his attributes. No less. He's everything. God is living in us. He has all the intelligence, the knowledge, and the eternal purpose. His eternal purpose is now in us. That person that receives the Holy Spirit, God is saying, I'm with you. I'm in you. I, 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 I'm with you. That person learns from the very start, like a baby. I remember when I was first saved, I was like a baby. I, I, I needed to know day by day, year by year, to walk in fellowship in God's Holy Spirit. I just felt that if I just stick with him, he's going to lead me and guide me. See, and when you do that, that person is bound to grow. And all the characteristics that we talked about, you will grow into them. We don't have an it. We have God. God is with us. He is our very life. Paul said Christ in us is the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Meaning that when this is all over with, it's going to come to an end. <clears throat> Listen, my wife and I was at a funeral yesterday. A friend of ours that was saved about the time we, he's going on to be with the Lord. Then we heard about a, a, a brother in, in uh, one of the elders in Lakeview Christian Center. He was my Sunday school teacher 50 years ago. He's going on to be with the Lord. And his wife's not far behind. Hey, the hope of glory, see, there's the hope of glory. Here's, here's a thought about God. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 20, it said that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice. How are you going to obey his voice if you don't hear it? You got to hear it, right? And that you may cling to him, for he is your life in the length of your days. You got that? He knew when you was born. He knows when you're going to check out. Think about this. If God is really living inside of us, he knows the length of our days and the earth on earth here. I remember 20 years ago, my my. My wife came close to checking out on me. She had 
99% blockage in a left main was in Costa, Costa Rica, uh, looking at a ministry there. And she had to go home and she found out that she had to get bypass surgery. And I remember her telling me, yeah, what, what's going to happen? What, what's going to happen? I said, I don't know what's going to happen. They said they're going to take your heart out of your body. I don't know what they're going to do. All I know is this. I told her, God gives you breath. Every breath you take, he gives it to you. Every one. This one you're doing right now. He's giving it to you. You're not doing it on your own. He gives it to you. He knows how many you're going to take. I said, he gives you breath. Don't worry about it. I said, you're going to be all right. And she had 20 years now. They only gave her 10. She's on 20 now. God knows. God knows. He knows the length of our days. And it doesn't depend on any natural thing. It's God. We shall die when he says the time has come and not before. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of life. Now, the true Christian life means that whenever we are in disagreement with the word of God, in other words, if we have the capacities to sense God and to know God, that when we get off track any kind of way, that's why Sometimes I look at some Christians and they're off on the wrong track and they don't see it. What the heck? If we're saying something or doing something that's against what God says, you ought to be able to sense the Holy Spirit telling you, you're on the wrong track, son, daughter. Back up a little bit. Straighten out a little bit. Go on. That's the capacity that God puts in us so we can walk the straight and narrow. He's going to be there telling us when we're going in the wrong direction. Sinners don't have that. Sinners, they fall into the pit. Not us. It's astonishing how many professing Christians they're going against the Word of God and never sense the conviction of God's Holy Spirit. That's why these people say you don't need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need as much Holy Spirit in you as you can contain because you can't do it on your own. You don't know how to walk. You don't know how to talk. You don't know how to do any of that stuff. I don't understand it. People say, oh no, the Holy Spirit ain't for today. It ain't for today. <laughs> if it ain't for today, I don't know when it is. We need it more now than ever. We need This world needs God bad. So, when we're out of line in the Holy Spirit, we should sense this is the capacity that we have God, God can speak to us. We can hear. God can lead us. God can move us. And it's beautiful. That's why Paul said in Galatians 5, 16, I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful flesh. What, what, how, what is he talking about? He's saying if you're walking that close to God and you want to go off into the flesh thing, you ain't going to do it. All right, back up here. 
That's not for you. It's not for you. You back up. Paul was saying we live by the Spirit. That's Christian living. That's what Christian living is all about. It's about being connected and have the capacity to be able to hear God, see God, feel God, taste God. It's not about preaching or teaching. Oh, we need, we need preaching and teaching. We need more of it. But walking in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way we're going to beat the sinful flesh. you got to walk close to God. The flesh fights for dominance against the Spirit. There's a war going on in here. Read Romans chapter 7. Paul tell you, hey, there's a war going on here. There's a war going in between the, our spirit that God has given birth to that's going to heaven against this flesh that's going to rot here. Who are you going to give in to? You want to give in to the flesh that's going to rot? Flesh and blood's not going. It's not going there. Only our spirit. The spirit man's got to win. That's the only way you're going to beat the sinful flesh. The flesh fights for dominance against the spirit. Every one of us knows what it is to have the flesh lusting after something. This is the first reason to be in the presence and power of God's Holy Spirit. The flesh is sinful, contrary to the spirit. The flesh keeps us from doing what we should be doing. The flesh fails to keep God's promises and, and it's opposed to everything God says. But being led by the Spirit frees us from the lust of the flesh. Frees us from the lust of the flesh. It's imperative that we live in the presence and power of the Spirit of the living God. God has given us the capacity to sense His presence and His power. See, now is the time for us to have the Lord increase our sensitivity to his spirit. So what happens when we become a Christian? I'll tell you. Our spiritual senses come alive. We sense God. We feel God. We are led by God. That's what being a Christian is all about. I had the capacity now to talk to God. I had the capacity to hear God. I had the capacity to be led by God. I had the capacity to know his presence. That's how we're going to make it. It's the only way you're going to make it. We got to know him. Hallelujah. Stand with me now. I know it's past 12, but we're not Baptists. I want to hang here for a minute because this is what God showed me. I'd like for us to all gather around the altar here. We're going to start singing again. I'm looking around. I think everybody here has given their heart and life to Jesus. I want to sense God's presence. I want us to renew the sensitivity that God has given us 
to know his presence. So I want us to do that right now. Let's gather around the altar. Come down here. We're going to start asking God. And if you're having problems with that, we can lay hands on you. That's okay. We can do that too. Come on, we're family here. Let's get, get together here. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's worship the Lord. His presence is here right now. I'm going to tell you that. God wants to renew our senses.